0: I've been kind of uh, emotional this morning, and um, I, as a pastor, you know, one of the things that y- you hear mentioned, um, but something that you don't really kind of understand till you get into it, is that when your people grieve, you grieve with them, um, and when um, people hurt, you hurt with them, and... Um, it's like double you get your emotions and then you get their emotions and it's like it's really a heavy burden to carry um and uh this morning just what i mean wasn't even planning to say anything like this but it's just pray for your pastors they need it um because when people in the church hurt we hurt and when families hurt, we hurt with them. And um, so, just pray, pray for our families here, and pray for us as pastors that we can um, um, be a good light and be good stewards to our people, and help, and be there, and cry with, and celebrate with, and all the things we can do them all, um, good and bad, with them. And um, so, just uh, pray for, pray for us, and pray for the church. and uh, But anyway, uh, it's good to see everybody, and um, I am really excited because we've been, as a youth group, going through um, different gardens in the Bible, and uh, in this series, we've been taking little uh, truths from each uh, garden that we've come across, and um, it's been a really, really fun time so far. The youth group have done a great job. The students that come up um, that are willing um, to to do a part of the sermon, that's uh, been pretty Pretty killer, and um, I know I would not have been able to do that as a kid, Um, but uh, in this series, the first week, we talked about cultivating, and cultivating ourselves, but not only cultivating ourselves, but cultivating the people around us, the people that we uh, bring to church, um, helping to um, um, cultivate the heart of others so that Jesus can do a work in them, and not only ourselves. Um, and then last week, in the second uh, week of the series, we uh, talked about how we should not do life alone and what that looks like um, for, um, for us as Christians. Um, how do we not do life alone? If you missed any of these sermons, I, I really encourage you to go back on Facebook or SoundCloud or the podcast and check them out. There's some really good stuff in there. A lot of things that the kids said um, have really stuck with me, and um, it's been pretty amazing. Um, So if you haven't had a chance, go back, listen to those if you missed them the first two weeks. Um, This week, we're going to be discussing another principle from a garden in the Bible. So if you will, um, we'll go to um, the Garden of Gethsemane. um, And who here has heard about the Garden of Gethsemane before? All right, a lot of us, and uh, just really quickly, um, because it's kind of heavy in here, um, I'll tell a joke that my mother told me yesterday. You guys want to hear a funny joke? This has nothing to do with, like, church or anything. It's just a joke, Um, and um, she's like, here, tell this tomorrow, and I was like, I'm not going to do that, but (laughs) I'm going to do it. Um, Why do uh, cows wear bells? Does Anybody know? Why do cows wear bells? (laughs) because their horns don't work (laughs) Uh, forget dad jokes mom jokes are the best um and uh so their horns don't work so they have to wear bells um that's funny to me (laughs) but when she told it she laughed so hard um that i thought i was gonna have to get her inhaler and uh, that's how funny she thought that was Um, I told her I was going to tell you, so there it is. Um, So um, (laughs) the Garden of Gethsemane um, is a small olive grove at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And this is like a little area outside, kind of outside the main area of the city in Jerusalem there. And it's right across the river from the Temple Mount. And you can kind of see the temple from this garden area. And so it's believed uh, by biblical scholars and things like that that Jesus would often take his disciples after teaching all day in the synagogues or in the temples or on the streets or wherever he was teaching that day. It's believed that he would often retreat with his disciples to these small places where he could rest, where he could pray, where he could get his energy back up to go back out the next day and begin ministering again. And um, so that's kind of where we're at in this moment. However, in this time, um, I believe that Jesus chooses this uh, garden, this area, very strategically, and it has a very different outcome than the ones previous um, in his years of ministry. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Matthew 26, um, Matthew 26. Verses 36 through 46. There's 26, 36, 46. I just realized that. Um, Huh. But anyway, um, Matthew 26, 36 through 46. I'll read this to you. I'm reading out of the NLT version this morning. Um, It says this Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over here to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he began or he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep, and he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, If this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he turned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that uh, we are able to uh, learn from things in your word, God, that we are able to glean um, little things of truth and little nuggets of truth that can help us in our day to day. And God, thank you that each time I read a story that I've heard since I was a little kid, God, you still give the ability to see something new, to see something fresh, to see something that's going to speak to me in a moment of need. I thank you for that. God, help us as a group, as a whole, as a church, as a family, help us, God, to always find new things in your word, that our faith would not grow stagnant, that we would not become um, laissez-faire in our relationship with you, but, God, that we would be on fire for you, and that we would find new things, and that our hope would be bolstered, and that we could... Continue to love your word and learn from it. God, open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was reading through this scripture, it was kind of strange. It occurred to me um, like it had never occurred to me before. And some of you even may have thought about this um, previously, while you've maybe read through um, this part of, of uh, the Bible. But it never had ever occurred to me. And I even looked it up online and I never, I didn't see anything on the internet about the parallels between the five stages of grief and what happens here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it really was like, I don't know if it was where, I don't know, I deal with the stages of grief a lot at work or what that is. Maybe my mind was just more open to it. But I feel like God placed it on my heart to share with you guys. Um, what it looks like um, to parallel the, the stages of grief with the Garden of Gethsemane. I feel like a lot of us, as we go through life, each one of us are gonna go through a stage of grief. And that doesn't always just mean the loss of a loved one, but it's certainly, that's probably the most common. But it could be loss of other things. It could be um, a loss of family, loss of whatever. There's so many different ways that you can experience um, this type of emotion. But for those of you who are not familiar with even the five stages, um, just really quickly, they are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance and hope. And these are the five stages that people often go through whenever they experience a loss, whenever they experience something traumatic, when they experience something that their brains just cannot understand or fathom. And if you've ever experienced this, these stages of grief, if you've ever been through this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've ever seen a family member go through these things, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I believe that some of us get stuck. We get stuck in certain stages of, this, uh, of these different five stages of grief, and we stay there. And we don't allow ourselves to move through them healthily. And we don't have the ability because our brains don't know how to even fathom grief. So I want to, I hope, I hope, my hope today is that I can encourage you, is that I can help you. Um, If you ever are, if you're going through something right now, if you're going to go through something in the future, maybe you'll have some tools in your tool bag to deal with it. Or if you have a loved one who's experiencing something like this right now, you can maybe speak to them and tell them and help them get through a really tough time Um, these things are very important to know and they're not always the most fun things to talk about but they are absolutely crucial crucial to talk about Um, and I think that uh, we're all going to be better for it Um, so let's jump in I'll see if I can show you kind of what I found now um, the point number one will be denial and Jesus is uh, on his face and he's praying that this cup would pass from him He's in this garden, he just got done preaching, he'd done all this work, he done everything, now he's praying, he's tired, he's anguished, he's distressed, he's praying, let this cup pass from me. He doesn't only do it once, but he does it multiple times, it says that he prays this prayer. And so to me, that kind of gives me a little bit of an instance of denial. If there's any of the stages of grief that I reach for a little bit, it's this one. But to me, that's a little bit of that instance of denial for Jesus saying, like, hey, maybe I can pray and change things. You know what I mean? Like, there's a little bit of that instance of, of denial there. And if Jesus will experience denial, then so will we. Um, psychology teaches us that in this stage of grief, when we're dealing with denial, it is our brain's way of slowing down information so that we can actually understand what's happening. Because whatever just happened, whatever reality just struck you, you do not have the ability to put it together in your brain. So your brain goes into a defense mechanism called denial. And it begins to shut the things out. And it says that couldn't have happened because there's no way, that just doesn't happen. (laughs) It's your brain's way of protecting you. We see a lot of people in denial you've probably joked with people and been like, they're in denial. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, we, we, you've seen people actually get stuck in this phase where they do not want to accept what has actually happened in their life. And it's a scary thing. Our brains have been flooded with so much foreign information that we cannot even understand what to do. And grief is not something that our brains are necessarily wired to handle to begin with. So we go through this stage of denial. What are some common signs of denial? Refusing to talk about the situation that happened. When something happens and you just refuse to even talk about it, you refuse to acknowledge it, you refuse any of that, that's a a very common stage of denial. That's the one that we probably see the most. We see it a lot in men, fellas. We do this a lot. We'll just be like, well, I don't even wanna talk about it. (laughs) I know I do, I shut down. I don't wanna talk about it, whatever. If I don't talk about it, if I don't address it, it didn't happen, right? It's the kind of things that we deal with. Women, you do this as well, but I, I know i speaking for men, or at least speaking for me, I do this. Um, finding ways to justify behaviors um, that have been brought on by your denial. So if you're acting out, you're doing weird things, if you're doing things that aren't necessarily normal to you, um, and then you try to justify these things. By just being like, oh, hey, well, this is why, and this is the, you know, justification of, of, of uh, different changes, different things in your emotional health, and things like that. Blaming others um, for the incident that happened. Not accepting responsibility necessarily if the thing is something that you can be responsible for. These are some signs of your denial. Keeping busy to avoid a problem. This one, to me, um, is probably the most common to, to human society, especially today. Um, anytime something goes wrong in life, what do we do? We typically fill our calendars with stuff, with things with all the appointments, all the sporting events, all this, all that. We just cram pack it, full. everything, work, everything, more, 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 because I don't wanna think about what just happened. I don't wanna even accept it. I wanna deny it. I wanna fill my days so jam-packed full that I literally don't have time to process the information that happened. And this is a very, probably the most common in denial. We fill ourselves with so much busyness and we tell ourselves that that's okay, because that's how we're coping. That's how we're dealing with it. Um, and that's not okay. It's not okay to just ignore an issue. We have to address it, and we have to open up about it. And there's three ways that Jesus does this. Um, there's three ways. If you want to write these down, these are going to be common throughout the entire sermon. Um, you're going to see these. Jesus, I'll use these three things as Jesus' combatant for each one of the stages. The first one is he opens up to his closest friends. He took all 12 of the disciples to the garden. He took three of them to a special place. His closest, the people that he taught wanted to reach to the most, he could trust, he could pray with. We have to do this. We have to have people in our corner that we can trust. Yeah, you can have a large group, But I don't know each one of you well enough to come and share my deepest, darkest secrets with you. I maybe know three or four of you that I could do that with. It's important to have those three or four people. If you don't have those three or four people that you can open up to and let loose, you have to. I encourage you, please, please find them. They're here in this room. You can find people in this room who want to hear, who want to talk to you, who care about you, who love you. Jesus opens up, and he says, I'm crushed with grief, and I need your help. I need you to pray. So he asks for prayer. That's the second thing he does. He asks for prayer. He asks them to pray and watch with him. Stay up with me. Watch with me. Pray with me. And then the third thing is, is he prays himself. And he not only prays for himself, but he prays God's will be done. And if you want to move healthily through the stages of denial, I encourage you to open up to your closest friends, to ask for prayer if you need it, and not only do that, but pray for yourself and ask for God's will to be done in your life. These are three things that you can do throughout each one of these stages, and like I said, I'll, I'll mention these again throughout. But those three things are very, very crucial, and I encourage you to do so. The second stage and the second point is anger. And to illustrate this point, um, I find it in uh, whenever Jesus comes back that first uh, second time, and he says to Peter, couldn't you just stay awake for one hour, one, and pray with me, one hour? That's all I needed, and you couldn't even do that. I imagine Jesus, I, it doesn't say he's angry. But he's so stressed out. He has so much grief. He has so much distress. I know when I feel that way and someone doesn't do something that I just asked them to do, I tend to typically lose my temper a little bit. I'm not saying that Jesus did, but I imagine he's a little frustrated in this time. And to help illustrate this point of anger, I have my student leader here, and she's going to come now. If you guys will welcome Isabella. She'll be up.
1: Good morning, everyone, and how is everyone doing today? My name is Isabella, and we've been discussing the five stages of grief today. I've chosen to talk about anger, so that's what we're going to do. I looked up the actual definition of grief, and here's what Google says. Grief is deep sorrow, especially that caused by someone's death. So how many of you have lost a loved one or went through the grieving process and felt angry? Angry with your choices, angry with the world, and maybe even angry with God. It's so easy to look at God and be like, Why is this happening? Why did you choose me? Like, do you even love me? And then we blame him for what's going on. <clears throat> in the Bible, it says in Psalms chapter 34, verse 18, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, he says, now I'm glad I sent it to you, sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. After hearing these, you know that God loves you. You know, <clears throat> you know he doesn't want to anger you. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He loves you so much that he wants you to be the best version of yourself that you can be. He wants you to repent and feel his everlasting peace. Some of you may be feeling angry in this room today. And I ask that you would take a deep breath and remember how much God wants you. In the Bible, it says in James chapter 1, verse 19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Sometimes when grieving, anger is all that you feel, but that's not how God intends it to be. Life isn't going to be perfect because we live in a sinful world, but we must have faith, joy, and love. Anger is something hard, and it's something real. However, trusting in God, knowing that he has a purpose for your life, he can help you get through it. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you about one of the five stages of grief. Remember to be slow to anger and to trust in God through the hard times. Thank you.
0: Great job. Great job. She's great. Isn't she great? I love it. Um, She did fantastic. um, Great illustration of anger. Anger brings on a lot of different things um, in our life, and um, when we're able to release that anger healthily, it changes a lot of things. Physical maladies, all kinds of different emotional issues can be um, diminished by just a release of anger and allowing yourself to do like... You know, I'm just going to let that go. Um, And I encourage you to do that. If you're stuck in that stage and you feel like you can't get out of that angry, anger stage, I encourage you to do what Jesus did. Open up to your friends um, to pray. Ask them for prayer. Um, Number three is bargaining. And uh, Jesus repeatedly prays that the suffering be taken away from him. Um, He repeatedly makes this prayer. But he prays God's will to be done as well. And sometimes when I'm asking Albie to do something for me, or if I'm telling Albie I want something for dinner or this specific thing, I know that if I can uh, throw in, well, but if that's what you want. Like, I would really like to have tacos, but it's up to you tonight. You know, whatever you want to do. If I say it like that, um, I know that Albie loves me. I'm pretty sure Albie loves me. Um, I'm, almost, I'm almost certain. I don't know how much, whenever I wear this shirt, that she loves me. Um, but I know that she loves me. And um, so, but she um, wants to do things that make me happy, you know. And I know that if I can play a bargaining chip just right, and if I say, well, this is what I really want, Albie, but it's up to you, I can up my chances of getting what I want because she wants to make me happy. She wants to give you know, me joy, and that's what she does. She does that. That's who she is as a person. So I feel like, and I can, like I said, I cannot speak for Jesus. But when I read this, I was like, wow, is Jesus kind of going like, God, if you could take this away from me, that'd be great, but, you know, it's up to you. It's kind of up to you, you know what I mean? Like, so when I read that, I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of what I do to Albie at times. And so in this stage of grief, when we are in the bargaining stages of grief, um, in these stages, uh, we often see people who, and a lot of people who are not even religious, will begin to bargain with God. And uh, they'll begin to pray to God and say things like, God, if you can change this situation, I'll do XYZ. i Z. Um, I'll pray more. I'll come to church every Sunday if you make this better. Um, um, if you do this for me, God, I'll never miss um, uh, another Easter Sunday service ever in life. I'll go to everyone, if it be your will, um, to change this. Um, we see... People begin to bargain and try to change things through um, that bargaining factor with Jesus or God. And and so not only that, though, we we see people um, begin to uh, blame themselves. They see uh, fault in them, thinking maybe I could have done something different to change the outcome. You see, it's not always a loss or someone getting sick that we're trying to bargain for. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it's a friendship. Sometimes it's whatever it is. The loss of a job. What could I have done differently? The loss of a relationship. How could I have treated the person differently? The loss of a friendship. Could I have reached out more often to my friend? We begin to self-blame. We begin to put that blame on ourselves. And we begin to think, well, what could I have done? So you see people go through these, um, these growth moments after a loss where they begin to work on themselves and they begin to really build up. I'm working on me, you know what I mean? Which is great <laughs> um, and it's awesome. But it's very important not to get stuck here in this stage where you're constantly thinking, I have to change who I am. I have to change what I do. It was my fault. And I want to encourage you that if you're ever stuck in this stage of bargaining where you're blaming you for something that happened in your life, you may have played a part, but it's not all your fault. And Jesus knows that. And He loves you, and He cares about you. And saying, Jesus, I'll promise I'll go to church for the rest of my life, doesn't always change things. Those bargaining moments don't always make a huge difference. Don't get stuck in just the bargaining stage. Allow yourself to move through this stage of grief. Work on yourself. Reflect. Open up to your friends like Jesus did. Ask for prayer. Pray for yourself. And pray God's will. These are things that you can do to begin to move through that bargaining phase trying to change who you are and what you've done sometimes life in life things happen that we don't understand we can't understand why we don't understand where it came from what was the point of this what was the point of that we don't know and the truth is is we may never know but all we can do as people as christians all we can do is trust that god has a plan for our life and move accordingly and allow him to love you through your situation. And just know that God created you to be who you are and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we can all do some changing and some growing, but not everything that happens in life is your fault. Sometimes just bad things happen, okay? Um, Number four, often when people, um, they feel this sense of hopelessness, helplessness in that bargain stage, and so that's why they begin to reach out and begin to bargain, because they feel like there's nothing they can do physically anymore to change the outcome, so then they begin to get really spiritual, And, um, and when that doesn't help, when they don't see that working, that helplessness and hopelessness sets in, and when that sets in, the, the body begins to move into something called depression, which is our fourth point in the fourth stage of grief. Our bodies move into depression. Now, Jesus tells his disciples that he is absolutely crushed with grief to the point of death. He said, I'm crushed. I'm crushed with grief. Now Earlier I said that I think he strategically chose the, the Garden of Gethsemane because Gethsemane in Hebrew actually means olive press. And to get oils from the, from the olive, you have to literally crush it to get the oil to come out. And Jesus is being crushed with grief in this moment. And in, in Luke, it actually says that he is um, sweating drops of blood. And this is actually something that can happen. And in the medical terms, it's called... Um, if you're ever wondering what that medical term is, it's hematrodosis. It's when the body becomes literally so stressed that blood can begin to come from uh, drops of blood from your forehead. You can see uh, blood from your tear ducts. And you can also see uh, like blood from your nose as well. And this is called hematrodosis. And Jesus was so stressed out, and he was so worried, and he was so crushed with his grief... That he actually began to experience hematidosis. He began to bleed or sweat blood. He's actually being crushed, crushed with his grief. Hopelessness sets in, and when hopelessness sets in, depression is not far behind. And if you want to be technical, yes. If you want to receive a diagnosis of depression, technically you're supposed to have symptoms for two weeks and um, a change of mood and a change of your, like a drastic change in your actual uh, ways of living and your uh, level of functioning. Now that's how you get like an actual diagnosis of depression, but some of us are always going and actually having a full-blown diagnosis of depression. Hopelessness can set in in a matter of days, and it does not take very long for someone to make a terrible decision in a a pit of hopelessness. When they feel like no one cares, when they feel like no one loves them, when they feel like God doesn't care about them, when they feel like nothing is left, it does not take long for the human mind to make a terrible decision in that moment. And so, I encourage you, do not wait two weeks to speak to somebody. Do not wait for long periods of time to see if you're actually experiencing this long-term thing called depression before you actually speak to someone and get help. Reach out early. Talk to someone quickly. It is something that will save your life. If you see your friends going through this, tell them to reach out quickly. It is something that can save a friend's life. Depression is something that will take someone's life if they're not careful. And in this day and age where you see more and more and more and more suicides, and you see more and more and more depression, you see more and more and more of these things, now is the time that the church should be saying, come talk to somebody. Reach out. Do not suffer in silence. Because you're worth it. And people love you. And I know in hopelessness, man, you don't feel like that, but daggone it, I'm telling you right now, I love you, and I'm here. And Pastor Ben loves you, and he's here, and we're here for you. Reach out. Don't suffer in silence. Talk to somebody, man. You need help, it's okay to need help. Do what Jesus did. So what are some common signs of depression? If you or some friends are feeling sad or having depressed mood, um, if you have a loss of interest or uh, pleasure in activities that you once enjoyed, if you see changes in appetite, weight loss or weight gain unrelated to dieting, you have trouble sleeping or you're sleeping way too much, Um, if you have a loss of energy or increased fatigue. If you see this in yourself or you see this in others, please reach out, talk to somebody, don't wait. Don't wait for long periods of time. We love you. We care about you. You're worth it. You're worthy. Jesus loves you. It may not seem like it, but he does. I promise. Find a therapist near you, or there's a place called betterhelp.com or .org, .org, betterhelp.org, betterhelp.org, and you can go to this website, and you can be matched with a therapist in a very, very short amount of time. Um, and you don't have to actually see this person, you can talk to them on the phone. Or you could do video conferencing, however you want to do that. But you can actually speak to a therapist and you don't have to tell anybody else that you're doing it if you still feel ashamed or you feel like you're embarrassed or whatever. I encourage you to reach out to somebody because people actually care, I promise. It's not just me saying that, that is the actual truth. Don't suffer in silence, please reach out. Know that we love you. Know that the church is behind you. We're here for you. And once you begin to reach out, once you begin to uh, tell your friends, and you begin to pray, and you begin to ask for prayer, and you begin to talk to a therapist, once you start to do this, you can begin to move through this stage in a healthy way, and then you can move to the final stage, which is acceptance and hope. In verse 42... Jesus says, my Father, if this cup cannot be taken from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. I prayed that prayer a couple times. God, if this has to happen, then your will be done. And it's a hard prayer to pray, but it's something that we all have to do at some point in our life. Um, and accepting finally what is going to happen, the fate that comes upon Jesus is something that I hope and pray that none of us ever, ever have to experience in our lives. Because he knows what's getting ready to happen. He knows what the cross is going to bring. He knows the torment. He knows the humility and the humiliation that he's going to be going through in just a few short hours. He knows. He knows. It's anguishing. It's anguishing. But he finally accepts it, and he says, I know what I have to do because it's your will, God. I know what I have to do. And to help us to illustrate this point of acceptance, I would like you guys to welcome Reagan Ruckel. She's going to come help us out. Good
2: morning. My name is Reagan. Today I'm going to talk to you about one of the five stages of grief. The stage that I chose was acceptance. According to the dictionary, grief is deep sorrow, especially that's caused by someone's death. The five stages of grief of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally, acceptance. Acceptance is accepting the fact that whatever has happened or happened to you, it happened. So for an example, say that you've lost a loved one and it's really sad, but at the end of the day, you finally accept that they're gone and all the emotions that come with it. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. This verse shows us that sometimes we may not understand things that happen in our lives, but we can trust that God has the perfect plan for our lives. I feel like acceptance is the hardest stage in grief. Because you, t- you have to accept all the anger, sadness, frustration, and confusion why it happened. But I believe everything happens for a reason, either for better or for worse. What would life be if it was perfect? It would be boring. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. Romans chapter 8 verse 18. So this means that if we accept the fact that what happened did actually happen, we're guaranteed a happy and peaceful life together with God in heaven. What suffering that happens here on earth is not forever, but only for a short time. To me, acceptance is hard and it's not an easy thing to do and it takes some time and that's okay. It's not gonna be the easiest thing ever. Grief leaves an impact on you and it's hard to overcome it. But if you do it right, it's gonna be so worth it when you get to heaven. So whatever you may be experiencing within the stages of grief, I want you to remember that it's okay to not be okay. It gets better with time and let your emotions out. Don't bottle them up because it messes up the healing process. And I want you to know that I love you and so does the Lord. I'm praying for you and that whatever you might be going through, that you find peace. If you would, I would like you to bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that whoever might need you to help them find peace and find their way to you, and get through it, because I know that you can help us heal, and I pray that you help us to understand your ways, and in your heavenly name, I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to what I've had to say today. I love you guys, and have a wonderful day.
0: Great job, Reagan. Excellent. It's okay to not be okay. great line Reagan I love that it's okay to not be okay and it is um it's um something that we're all going to deal with is grief and we go through these things and acceptance and all this and the stages of grief it's like I said it's a heavy topic it weighs heavy on people um but it's real you know it's something that we deal with um on Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday, and then, you know, we come to church on Sunday, we get that spiritual uplifting, and we get together with our family, and, our, and we worship, and we learn, and it's amazing, and then we go back home, and we're alone, and all these things still play, you know, it's the realness of life, and sometimes when you're talking about real things, it's not fun and happy, but it's tough, um, but I just want to encourage you um, that if you feel like you are stuck in one of these stages, reach out reach out please please reach out we go through dark times it's hard to see that there's light at the end of the tunnel and a couple like a month ago or something i was talking to the kids about um, and pastor ben's gonna know exactly what i talk about here when i say this there's a place every morning i drive to work on the double a and there's an intersection where seven meets the double-A right before you get um, to uh, Greenup there, or that intersection in Greenup before you go across over into Ohio. Um, There's an intersection there that most mornings, most, it, it could be the most beautiful day you've ever seen. You drive down into this valley and it becomes like the most foggy thing ever. You can't see hardly anything. You don't know if people are gonna be pulling out of that intersection, you don't know you don't know anything. And I actually have a little video that I'd like you to see. Um, I was trying to prove my point to the kids and I was like, man, I wanna get this video, do not video and drive, I'm, don't do that. That's not what I was doing, right? Um, but anyway, so here's a perfect example of that. Um, I had Leslie, for the sake of you guys, to take down the volume because um, my truck sounds really cool. Um, and, um, (laughs) but look how, I didn't even see that car hardly, but you can barely see, you can make out a little bit of trees. You can see, you know, the road a little bit. That car needs to have its headlights on, did not be, and you'll see why it didn't soon. But in life, oftentimes we're going through really dark things and we cannot see the end of it. But I know that if I trust in God, and I know that if I continue on the path that he has for me, that one day, and it may not be soon, but I know that one day I can come through the fog and I can see a beautiful day like this. And it's absolutely gorgeous, and, but I couldn't see it because all the fog, and you can stop it there because I mess it up when I try to get my windshield wipers going, but it's one of the most beautiful, beautiful days ever. Yeah, I would have had no clue if i would have just stopped right there in the road and said i can't go any further because i can't see or if i would have gave up too soon i would not have been able to break through and experience that beauty and it was a really beautiful day i wish like i said i wish it would have been a better better video but the beauty if we continue to move through the stages instead of getting stuck in one of them and if you can allow yourself to just keep putting one foot in front of the other, and then another, until eventually you're walking normal. Eventually you get to those days where it's beautiful, and the sun's shining again, and things are funny again, and you can get there if you open up to your closest friends, people you can trust, if you, if you ask for prayer, and if you pray for yourself, and you ask for God's will in your life, if you can do those things, and not neglect talking to people when you need it, talking to a therapist, whatever that might look like for you, if you can do those things, you can move through these very healthily in a good, healthy way so I want to pray for you guys today if you guys will bow your head and close your eyes I thank you guys so much for being attentive I know that like I said this is a heavy topic but it's something that we all need to hear there is light at the end and there is hope and there is still a God on the throne who loves you who still has control of your situation even when you don't see it He's heard the prayers that you prayed at night. He's heard the prayers that you pray in your car, by yourself. every tear that you've cried he holds in his hand. And he loves you and he cares about you. But man, don't hopelessness lie to us. <laughs> Doesn't the enemy attack? Doesn't he tell us that there's nobody, there's no way? I'll never feel this way again. I'll never be happy again. I'll never have this emotion again. I'll never be the same again. Life will never go on. It can't move past this moment. I can't see the end. Gosh, what a lie that is. Friends, there is hope, there is love. There is happiness again. There is laughter again. There is joy again. You're surrounded by people in this room right now who love you, who care about you. What an amazing group of people to have on your side, too. And not only that, you have the God in heaven who created you, who loves you, who cares about you more than anything, and was willing to go through this crushing grief and go to a cross and be sacrificed as the sacrificial lamb for you. Because, man, he loves you. And because guess what? Whether the world tells you or not, whether you feel it or not, whether anyone's ever told you, you are worthy of that. You deserve it. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I love you so much. And God, when I read about how you were crushed with grief, it makes me feel a little better because there's a lot of times here on earth when I'm crushed with grief. God, I feel like I get stuck in these stages, and I just keep doing life, and I just keep adding things to my calendar, and I keep trying to fix myself, and I keep trying to do things on my own, but God, is not working. So Father, let me do what your son Jesus did in this, in this garden where he, he asks for prayer from his closest friends and he, he opens up to them and he lets them know how he's feeling. Let me find people. Let these people in this room find people they can open up to. Father, people that love them and care about them and want to see them grow and get better. God, help us all to find those people. Help us to know that you love us. Help us to understand that we're not going to be stuck in this forever, that this is something that will pass. We love you, God. We praise your name and we lift you up high. Even in times of grief, we lift your name up. We praise you, God, because you're worthy. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray, amen.